Hey, you got him with this one, dog. It's so soulful. Let's take him back. Come on. Hey, remember back in the block in the summertime when the sidewalk got so boiling hot that the heat from the street almost melts your flip flops or burn through your new shoes and leave you. With holes in your socks Us city slickers, there was no water in spots So we'd head to the corner, Mr. Warner would knock Off the Welcome, welcome, welcome all my do-gatters Future fathers, potential parents, and everyone else tuning in This is Dad Hard with a podcast And as always, I am your host, Mo Green And also as always, I am just a dad who talks to other dads to try to help us all be the best dads that we can be. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is episode 62 of Dad Hard with the Podcast. And before we jump into episode 62, I want to jump back a week to episode 61, um, where I, I had a full guest episode talking about the experience of being a divorced and single dad raising two tween girls with a a good friend of mine, Shovik Paul. And some of the stuff that that he brought up and just talked about was so eye-opening for me. Um, You know, number one, I, I could never imagine being a single dad raising a girl once they got to that age, right? There's so many different conversations, experiences, you know, things that they're going through that, you have never had to deal with in your life as a man. And those are difficult conversations to have and you have to have them if you're a single dad. You know what I mean? Um, you know, the other thing that really was eye-opening to me was when he said that his divorce lawyer was shocked that he wanted so much time with his girls as far as custody because most of the dads that he deals with wants the least amount of time possible. And I I thought that is just a crazy thought. You know, I know how much I love my daughter. And if I could not even spend every day with her the way that I do now, I I don't know what I would would be able to do, you know? So, you know, I felt for show because he does have 50-50 custody. So he doesn't get to see them all the time. And, um, you know, that that's a crazy thing to think about. Uh, but he was phenomenal. Uh, his experience is crazy, uh, just being a single dad raising girls. But he's also hilarious, has great stories. So if you haven't checked that episode out, definitely do. It is a very entertaining and enlightening listen. But now it's on to episode 62. And this episode... Uh, I have another great guest that really t- actually ties in to what my daughter has been going through for the last couple of weeks, you know, uh, specifically in regards to um, her, I want to say, I, the best way to say it is like educational development, you know, um, and so our guest this week is the founder of one of the most effective and successful digital math tutoring programs for young kids, Elephant Learning. Um, And that is a phenomenal conversation that will be coming up after the musical break. And I thought it was important to to talk to, to him about 
elephant learning and what that does in helping the development of young kids because my daughter specifically is like kind of started counting, which I'll get into in a minute. And, you know, she's getting to that age. She's 19 months. It's, you know, week like 70, 72, 75, something like that uh, of dadding for me. And this week or the last couple of weeks really have been really insane as far as her development is concerned. You know, um, number one, they call it the terrible twos. Because apparently kids just throw tantrums nonstop once they hit two. Uh, I am going to say it is the terrible 18 months, um, you know, because it's really like once she hit that 18 month mark, she just like started getting really emotional about being told no and throwing these like crying tantrums, which she never really did before. She never really cried before. She never really got upset when we would tell her no you know I I think more it was more if we told her no very sternly or aggressively or loudly she would get more scared than upset um you know and she'd get like this really worried look on her face but now if we tell her no it's like a full out like crying tantrum until we give her what she wants and that's something that 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 is new territory for for me and apparently starts to happen around this time uh, you know as they start to get closer and closer to that 2 year mark you know their emotions are growing you know and and expanding developing more and more and you know part of an emotion is being upset and that is kind of what she's expressing at this time you know i also think that she knows that Mommy and daddy hate to see her cry, so she's going to cry until we give her what she wants. Um, So that has been a difficult thing to do. The other thing that kind of blends in with that is her advancement in speech, where she can now speak not just individual words or, you know, two words together to describe a thing, you know, like big fish or baby shark, um, but she actually can speak in full statements. She told my do- my mom my mom. She told my wife the other day when she was like playing with her like flower set. She was like, "Mommy, come play now." And my wife went to go play with her. And as and then she went to go like get up to like make coffee or something, and she's like, "No, mommy, keep playing." And she can make these demands now uh, because she can speak in full sentences. Uh, and it and it's a crazy thing when they're crying and throwing these like upset tantrums. And don't get me wrong, it's not like a massive tantrum. She's rolling on the floor, you know, banging around, you know. But she just starts crying until she gets what she wants. Um, so I'm gonna consider that a tantrum. But the fact that she does that and gets emotional but can also express herself in full thoughts makes it even more like gut-wrenching when she's upset because she can actually at least mostly express what she wants and why she's upset and throwing this tantrum. And to hear her do that is just such an interesting thing to hear as a parent, you know? Especially because for this first, you know, 18, 19 months, until they can really start expressing themselves like that, 
you don't really know why they're crying. You know, obviously babies cry. You know what I mean? It's a thing. If you're a parent and your baby doesn't cry, you know, God bless you. But babies cry and that's a commonality of all parents. But once they can express why they're crying, it's a real crazy game changer. You know, when she cries, when she wakes up in the middle of the night crying, saying, I want daddy, where's daddy? Or I want mommy, where's mommy? Or mommy, read me a book. And she's screaming this while crying. It makes it a lot more emotional from the parent side because now you know what she's upset about and that you can actually do something that she wants to stop her from being upset potentially so that's just like a weird thing that, that that's been kind of going on and, and an adjustment that we've had to make as parents um the other thing is like at this point i i talked a, a few maybe a month or so ago that she was getting really into art activities and art activities were great play-doh and crayons and watercolors and all that i am going to double down on that now she's 19 months old and Art activities are the number one best thing that I would recommend for a parent to do just because it can keep her engaged in something. It's something that you can do with them, you know, and show them how to do things, Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, making stuff with Play-Doh. Obviously, you have to watch them when they play with Play-Doh so that they don't eat it. Or, you know, doing watercolors, like I've mentioned before. Uh, but the biggest things that she loves to do right now that are a complete game changer and really awesome uh, is these bath crayons that we got. So she can just like write and draw stuff on the wall while she's in the bath. And it really like makes her really excited for bath time. Because she knows now she has this activity that she can do once she gets into the bath. And it's not just like a chore to do, you know, that she has to stop playing to go take a bath or something like that. Uh, It's fantastic. Definitely recommend that. Uh, And the other thing that has been really great that my wife actually, you know, brought into the mix and I never would have thought about are sticker books. And just like, you know, obviously you don't want to get just get stickers because then they end up all over your house, apartment, you know, face, anything. But these sticker books, especially if it's like reusable stickers and especially if it's in the vein of something that they love, like she's really into sea creatures and sea animals. So we got her all these like sea animal sticker books and she loves them so much. It is, I swear to God, it might be the only thing that she thinks about on a regular basis. She wakes up in the morning, stick a book, stick a book, stick a book, stick a book. She comes home from daycare, stick a book, stick a book, stick a book, stick a book. She's eating dinner, stick a book, stick a book. All she wants to do is play with this freaking sticker book. It is insane. Um, but it keeps her engaged and also keeps her from just like running around, taking out every single toy that she has and screaming at the top of her lungs because she can kind of do it by herself. She can do it with you. And it also kind of teaches her about different things, at least the way that we're doing. And it's like, oh, this is a crab, crab, crab. Oh, this is an octopus, octopus. Oh, here's a whale, whale. You know, it teaches them what these things these animals i mean in this case it's sea animals but teaches them what what these things are um and 
you feel a sense of accomplishment because you're the one that's teaching it to her. So definitely recommend art, arts and crafts, anything you could do that's safe and fun and especially sticker books. Shout out to my wife for bringing that into the mix. Never would have thought about that. Um, and speaking of learning, the last thing that she's really started doing is both counting and saying her ABCs. My daughter is 19 months old and can now count to 11 or 12. I will give most of the credit to Sesame Street and because she loves counting the Martians during the number of the day uh, and often forces me to sing that song on her way to daycare. But she is starting to count and do ABCs. Uh, you know, she wants me to like draw the ABCs with her bath crayons while we're in the bath and... It's it's awesome that she likes that and loves to do it. And the way that she says LMNOP is the most phenomenal thing I've ever seen in my life. It's more like a blah, 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 P. It's phenomenal. Um, but that's it's a really cool thing once they start doing those types of education-based, you know, words or or things, right? It's it's really awesome to see because it it's your first introduction into what she's going to learn upon going to school. I also give full credit to daycare for this, um, that they're definitely doing that with her, which is making them learn. And the fact that these kids start to soak that up now at this age it is phenomenal. So you got tantrums, you got speaking in sentences or statements, you got art, top-notch activity that you can do with your kid and you know, starting to get involved in in the education process, ABCs, numbers, etc. cetera. Uh, that's what you all got to look forward to at 19 months. Other than that, my daughter's phenomenal. I love her. And with that said, we're going to jump into a music break. And on the other side, as I mentioned before, I'm bringing out my guest who is the founder and creator of one of the most successful and effective digital mathematics-based programs for young kids. It's called Elephant Learning. And my guest is its creator, Dr. Adyata Nagath. Fantastic conversation. The guy is a brilliant dude uh, and had a lot to say about, about how math can affect kids starting at two. Um, so it was a phenomenal conversation. Definitely check that out. We're going to jump into the musical break and I will catch you on the other side. Come and take a ride with me. We can smoke a Mary Jane. You know it's it and then away. So come get lost in the age. Come and take a ride with me. We can smoke a Mary Jane. You know it's it and then away. So come Sandbox, little league ball, 
felt like the sand lot. I was the bambino, the salt on the swap. And Doc was more like Benny the Jet. No handy but yet. And we are back with this week's episode of Dad Hard with a podcast. And as always, you know, once that music break hits, it's time for the guest segment of the show. And I'm actually super excited to have this guest on because the concept of education has really been coming up a lot now that my daughter is 18 months. You know, when she hits two, do we send her to preschool? Do we keep her in daycare? How how are we going to foster her education and development moving forward? So I'm hoping to get some answers from my guest this week. He is the founder and creator of Elephant Learning, one of the most effective math programs or math education programs for kids on the market right now. I am pleased to welcome, also a father and expecting one on the way, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Adita Nagraf. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for coming on. This was, this is fantastic. Like I just mentioned, I'm really excited to talk to you because education for the first time as a parent is really a pertinent thing that we are thinking about top of mind. She's at that 18 month point. She's extremely smart. She's starting to like say her ABCs and start counting things. So it's just a top of mind. So this really worked perfectly to have you on in my dadding timeline. So this is this is going to be fantastic. I'm excited. Where where are you based? We're in Denver. Sick. Awesome. Great. Denver's a great place. Love it very much. But yeah, you you're a father yourself, right? Your child's four and a half. You have another one on the way. How is educate like how do you handle education? Being an educator or being an education specialist, I guess, specifically with math, how do you how would you go about handling education with your with your kid? Well, actually I'm I'm fairly relaxed with it. Really? Uh, yeah, I mean, so one of the things that we learned in the process of develop, developing this is that four to five students start kindergarten and prepared for the kindergarten curriculum. And this is actually where the majority of the challenges for students along their educational career start. And it kind of starts with mathematics, which is the funny thing. So it turned out that the preschool math scores predicted third grade reading scores better than preschool reading scores. And the preschool math scores also predicted fifth grade overall scores. So this is correlations that the scientists have found in the data. And we asked ourselves, like, why? But ultimately, it basically boils down to if they can understand the teacher, then the education system tends to be successful, which is fairly on the surface. So, so really, if, if we can get students to understand the basics for what's required for entering into kindergarten, which, you know, I thought at the time was nothing. I found out, you know, for math, it's counting to 10, which in my mind meant saying the numbers one through 10. But now I know means give me 10 things. The student slides over 10 things and stops on 10, which is quite a, quite a bigger task for, for a young student. Sure. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, just uh, just knowing that I could get my student to there quickly has had me be more relaxed about it. So 
my child, he's my wife uh, speaks Russian, so he's he's bilingual. But like, I haven't really been trying to hammer him; just trying to get him to be able to speak English. And then earlier this year in September, he finally started engaging with the app. So he just had turned four. And he started engaging with the app, and he's already basically doing addition, subtraction to twenty, wow. which is uh, a first grade uh, thing. And and he's doing it from a conceptual perspective, meaning he's interacting with the puzzle that's making him add and subtract, and he's doing it with manipulatives. So there's really an underlying understanding of what's happening, which is really what's important. I mean, very specifically, we we prove this in our system, like. There was psychological research that said that you cannot teach logical operators to uh, children, and we have children as young as four or five years old going through the logical operators and understanding them. So, what when you say logical operator, and I apologize, maybe I, sh- I maybe I need the to to, to to do the elephant learning program myself. But what do you, when you say logical operators? What does that what does that mean? What does that entail? Well, so the, the logical operators are and and or, and actually they don't teach this. Typically, you'd see it in uh, maybe a computer science course if they're teaching that in high school, but uh, definitely first or second year of college back in our day. So there's this research that says that like it's developmentally inappropriate. So when psychologists say it's developmentally inappropriate, they mean that the brain structure has not formed enough for the student to understand it. To understand but, the concept of end and or? That's right, yeah. Really? I mean, it's a little bit sunny. It's a little bit funny because we're just defining two words, right? right? And the only difference between the way we use and and or colloquially and the, the strict definitions of how you would use it mathematically or with a computer system is that, you know, like if you say and, you mean both, right? If you say or... It could be both. Typically, colloquially, we mean one or the other, right? Sure. Either, right, this thing or, or this thing, right? But not sure. both, typically. And that's the only difference is that logically, if they're both true, then it's true, right? You only need one to be true for it to be true, and that's or. And is you need both to be true. And so, yeah, I mean, we looked at this and we said there's absolutely no way that's true. When we dived into the research, what we found out was that there's the null case, which is that, like, if the hypothesis doesn't fire, it's considered void. And so it's defined mathematically as, as vacuously true in that the hypothesis didn't fire, so we're going to call it true. And it actually makes the math work kind of thing. If Got I it. define it that way, some things work. I could define it as false. But see, the thing is, is that like I could do that. I could write a paper where you know what, I'm going to see what happens in this universe if I define things as vacuously false and see, you know, what's true in that universe. It's a conversation at the end of the day. Yeah. And so, like, it, it's, it's really kind of a sad thing that something like this is being pushed out there because psychologically speaking, it's another excuse to not do it. Sure, sure. And, 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 it, and I feel like they, it's weird that that is being said, like that, that research is showing that that is the case and that is true because I mean, I can see it with, you know, with, with my child who's extremely young right now, like they get it. They can, they can understand that they can understand the concept of 
this and this, or do you want this or that? You know what I mean? Like, so it's weird that that's being pushed like that. So it's also great that you are kind of challenging that thought process because you've found that they also have that ability as well. I mean, the science literally conflicts with itself. If you look at early age education research, it says that students as young as four are exhibiting division during play. And it's the adults in the room that don't believe they would understand what it is that are not saying it's division out loud. And so therefore that language is not being developed. And on the other side, you're seeing psychological research that says, well, you know what? We're measuring it and most children don't understand this. And so we don't think they can. That's so it's that's it's crazy. It's always weird how often I find that sciences disagree or counteract each other. You know what I mean? In, in their result, just an aside that, you know, I, I just think that that's really interesting that those two sciences are actually conflicting. And especially when you're talking about the development and the education, even more specifically about a young child, that's something important to, you know, to, to, to foster and get right. You know what I mean? Like their child's development, you know, a child's development re- relies on what their parent or educator are going to, what direction they're going to take them. So I, it's, it's weird that, that, that they don't understand is being pushed as a, as a scientific you know, fact almost, you know, and it's great that you're, and it's great that you're trying to go the other way and make it, make it true that that is, that is not correct. And they, they can process that type of information because it de- gets them developing at an earlier age. Probably why Elvin Learning is so successful because you're proving it correct. What was the what was the inspiration behind starting Elephant Learning and the, the whole program in general? Where where how did you create this? Where did you come up with the idea? Why? You know, what 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 was behind this whole thing? Well, my first child was on his way. And really what was happening was that I was transitioning out of one business, which was a contract software engineering business. And I was looking for something that was different. So I was looking for something that would be maybe a little bit more than just a business. So like I was seeing presentations that kind of look like uh, these double, triple bottom line companies where, you know, they don't just have a measurable profit, but they also have a measurable something that they're good they're doing to the environment or good they're doing for society. And so like, I like this idea. And so I thought, you know, how can I do that? And then, you know, I met up with a math professor of mine, my PhD is in math and computer science. And he, he had a national science foundation grant that he was applying for. So he gave me all of the information that I just told you about a little bit earlier, which was concerning, right? Like it's literally saying that, well, okay, if I can get my child to count to 10, well, then he's got a shot. And if I can't get him to count to 10, statistically speaking, it doesn't look like it's going to be very good. Yeah. And so, you know, th- that's why for me, it's a lot more relaxed. I know at this point, right, that, you know, I could put my child in public education. He's going to learn. And I think ultimately this is what it is. There's this fear that we have, all of us kind of internally of like this idea of smart and stupid and like, I mean... You know, in the end, I don't know how important that is. I think happy, healthy, successful, that's what we're looking for. And so, you know, like, we have to look at it through that lens as well. So, like, this is all about 
allowing the student to develop the language that, I mean, God has graced them to be able to learn, so why not? Sure. And, you know, once they understand that, you know, people are, you know, people sometimes come back, well, what about the retentions? You know what? They can always do it again and they pick it up the second time faster. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting that you make that, that, that point also about the, the, the concept of having to define kids specifically, but people in general is smart, stupid, advanced, not as advanced, especially when you're talking about very young children, you know, parents are so obsessed with, you know, getting their child to be advanced. So they do all these different things in early parenting that are going to, you know, speed up their development so that they can be considered advanced and, and stuff like that. When really you hit the nail on the head, it's all about being happy and healthy and the rest of it will come. They'll learn it. At some point, everyone, everyone learns how to do this. Yes. That's, that's the, that's the whole thing. So it's just a matter of, did they learn it at a time that would make a difference in their educational career? And remember, we, we're, we're basically, I mean, like if you, if you look at the marketplace as competition, which I don't, I don't think that's the right view, but if you looked at it that way, then, I mean, if they're coming in and they are, and they just understand the teacher. They're already in the top twenty-five percentile. That's the interesting. That's the statistic that's out there. Seventy-five percent of high school students are not proficient at high school mathematics. Interesting. That's so. So, do, does is there a specific like age where it does? Like, we're learning this does specifically tend to enhance or like learning it or not learning it affect their educational future or educational career as soon as possible so it's literally something that starts at kindergarten what's actually happening is that the children are passed along whether they show proficiency in conceptual understanding or not many times the teacher cannot even determine it because there's so many children in the room so like conceptual understanding means I have to be able to talk with the student and they, they show me that they understand. Sure, so our system is able to do this because we're asking questions that when they answer it, they've proven understanding. And at the same time, while they're doing it, especially at the young children age, they're actually playing with the manipulatives. It's the same thing sure. at the end. Sure. And so then, you know, like you get to first, second, third grade Well, math becomes, how do I do it? Because how do I do it passes the test? How do I do it gets them to the next grade, whether they understand it or not? And you can see it because the students struggle with the word problems. But then they get to algebra and it's sort of game over. And it's because there might not have been meaning to the things that were coming before. So if multiplication doesn't mean anything to you, if you just memorize your multiplication tables and now you say, well, seven times X is 49, you're speaking Greek, you, and you right. threw a letter in there. Right, right. I thought we were talking about numbers. That you name you threw do an X. Like what? Do you, you know? <laughs> right. So, so talk to me a little bit about the program in general. Like how you went into a little bit about how it all works and what the methodology is. But you know, how does the entire thing work? What is what is the program? How does it operate? How, and how does a kid use it and become? Successful. I'm glad you asked this. So, okay. So first, basically what happens, and this is for students older than five, younger than five, they, 
we we use the averages to place them. But children that the five start, or before, older. Before you start, sorry, a, I don't mean to interrupt. But is that the starting point? Like, is like five, like the age that kids can actually enroll and get something out of it, or does it start younger than that, or is like, or is five that baseline? We we've seen children as young as two have success. We've seen three year olds that are not ready. So it's really dependent on the student, right? So like, right. when you say that your student is already counting and. Maybe like I would wait until they get to numeral recognition, right? If you show them a one and they can say sure. that's a one and then you can show them a one, one thing and show that that's one. Like if they're around there, that's where the program's really going to start helping you as the parent and start helping the child. Okay. It's just that what we know is the average three-year-old can count on one hand and the average four-year-old can count on two hands. So we just don't try to put them in a placement exam because those materials, if you understand them, go so fast there's no need for a placement exam. Sure. But for five or older, we put them in a placement exam because now it could be that they're in the first grade, but they're two years behind from a from an understanding level. Or it could be that they're in the fifth grade and they're one year behind. So, like, we got to find out where they are. Maybe they're even ahead, right? We have some sure. students come in and they're ahead. We allow the parent to set where that starting point is. Sometimes I got a parent who says, well, I got a 14-year-old who's having trouble counting to 10. They got Down syndrome. Will this work for them? Put them in the first grade exam. Let's find out, right? Like it'll place them around counting to 10, hopefully. And and if they're beyond that, well, then great. We won't waste their time with it. So that's that's a great thing. So after the placement exam, yeah, we're, we're kind of trying to, for the student, be a gamification of the proven curriculum. So we got a proven set of curriculum that we've turned into like a puzzle game, sort of like Angry Birds, where you're presented a puzzle. There's a reward for answering the puzzle. But they build on top of each other to get you there. And we have a skip button, which is like, hey, this is too hard. So, like, if you're in the placement exam and you get to a place where it's like, oh, man, like, I'm going to try to guess. Better to hit skip so that we start building you up. But the idea is, is it kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, Mr. Miyagi's you into just knowing what's going on. Love the Miyagi reference. Always love a good Miyagi reference. <laughs> I, I, I had to take it because I saw it. It's, it's great. I, I love it. I, I'm, I'm all about it. But then, in, but then, see, the nice thing is, is that when they then get into the classroom <clears throat> and the teacher starts to teach, you know, either what we learned or the Common Core or whatever it is, those processes, this is, this is how you do it. Now, for that student, this is a completely different conversation because now it's not about memorizing how do I do this. Now it's about, wow, this is a neat way to solve a problem that I'm already familiar with and I see why it works. Yeah. And that's, and that's really the magic is that we have students that come out and say that they're so much more confident. The parent says they're so much more confident and that's wonderful. So really all they have to do is play the games. But you know, when I was building this, right, my first was on the way and I, I heard all this stuff and I said, well, if there's anything that I can offer to my child, it's the same thing that my mother offered me, which is that, you know, when I was young, she used to go and get the math books for the following year and she used to make me and my sister sit down and learn math. I mean, she was she was a strict Indian parent and I mean, she was forthright in her belief that the American system cannot teach math, though now we know that the American system can teach math, right? That's the, that's the wonderful thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I had to figure out how do I pass that on to my son and how do I find the time to do it? Because that wasn't a small amount of time sure. either. So beyond the games, right, was the proof. So the proof was, could we take what the researchers wrote? Could we write it down in 
a way that anyone could understand it. So we did. We filmed videos around it. So this is what would be a course from counting through algebra on conceptual learning for a teacher as continuing education. This was actually being sold as such to teachers. And that is what's being delivered to the parent because I figured, hey, at any point in time, I could just sit down, I could just read it and I'd be able to figure out why not, right? Right? And I'd be able to just see, is he doing that? Yeah. But more than that, because the professor who had approached me, his daughters were already going to college. He had already done all the research into the activities that he could do with them outside of the system that would be fun, that would be a game. And so we threw all of those in there as well. So like from a resource perspective, this is great. And then on top of that, really, it's a tool, right? Like the tool is to help you as a parent ensure that your children know this. So we have a couple of things that are tool like the placement exam. You can do it whenever. Right. So like say your student got maybe too far. Maybe they stopped using it for two weeks and they forgot and they need to come back. You can put them in the placement exam at the age of the at the elephant age. So it'll start a little bit behind kind of where they are to try to catch them up, but they won't have to do everything again. So now you've refound their level very, very quickly. Say you want to test retention, placement exam. Say the student comes back and says, this is boring. This happens sometimes. Like, for example, if you got a student who's like, I'm 13 years old, but uh, testing at the third grade level, I still experienced those years of math. I still sat through those math courses. So now what happens is, is that once the idea connects, it all makes sense. Wow. Everyone's had that experience, right? Wow. So they can catch up to their age very, very quickly. But like what might happen is that they'll say, well, you know what? Uh, now all of a sudden this is boring. Well, you can actually take them from the position they are and, and test them out. So it basically restarts the placement exam for that subject line and everything that depends on it. Wow. So they can test back to their level. So we've made it as easy as possible for the parent to try to make it fun for their child And we just need the parent to engage to get the student to do it. And ultimately, you know, my thought around it was, is I remember being young and I remember playing those games in class on those Apple two GS or those Macs. And, you know, like I remember it was not pulling one over on me when it's math, it's math and you know it. And so like, we really made it about the math because that's what's empowering about it. Like if you're doing the math for math's sake, then it's fun. If you're doing, if you're doing the math to get a reward of some sort, then the math is work. Yeah. And so now we're turning math into work. So the mission was to empower children with mathematics, and we've had to make thousands of decisions along the way. We've to- we've shared some of them for you. Like there's so much more going on. Like if the system detects an issue, so we're analyzing the student's data, and we found patterns, and we said, oh, you know what? We should alert the parent. We send you an email. We tell you exactly what to do. There's a method we use, which I try to share on every podcast, because like if this one thing, if you learn this one thing, this was the one thing I learned, you know, like I went back to Harvard. So we got to tell them something. What do we do? This method, this why method, that thing alone will help your student in any subject because you're really getting down to the crux of what they don't understand. So what you do is you let the student answer incorrectly you, you poker face it as best as you can. And then you ask them, well, why do you think that's the right answer? And when the student explains to you why, you're going to see what they don't understand. And now it's down to, can I give them a hint? Or or what do I clarify in the language? So yeah. like, like even then, I use that with my, with my child. 
right? So like, well, why why are you saying that, or why do yeah, you think why that's do you true? Do this? Why do you do this? Yeah, of course. It's a great yeah. why. Why is a brilliant word to use. It can really get to the, the the crux of a lot of things. So I'm going to use it now. Why math? Why is math specifically so important? in the education process. Now, I know you mentioned a little bit about the and or, and or yeah. connection. So, I mean, I assume that's one reason, but what is it about mathematics that's so important to the education and development of a young child? Okay, so so what, what happens is this, is that science measures, right? They typically have a hypothesis. They're trying, typically trying to prove their hypothesis true or false, they're hoping to gather the data to do it. Sometimes they're collecting data and they notice these things like fifth grade scores, preschool scores. Are, is there a correlation? Here's what I found is that uh, when you're thinking about these things, it is that map that I was talking about earlier. So there were several reasons initially why we thought this would be true. So one reason was that when you're counting to 10 and you slide over 10 things and you have to remember to stop on 10, it means you held 10 in your head to do it, right? So it's some sort of a little bit of a mental gymnastic that's occurring. Interesting. The second thing tends to be that there is this idea of like, I'm just not a numbers person. Yeah. And so you don't need to be a numbers person. So like, to some degree, the integrity of the idea of education gets eroded in the student's mind, right? If it's okay to fail here in math, maybe I'm just not a social studies person. Yeah. yeah. I'm just not into social studies. No yeah, maybe deal. I'm just not a reader, you know, all, all that. Yeah. I don't have to really be into anything. And I mean, you kind of see students sometimes with that attitude as an educator. Sure. It's okay, right? I mean, it's just not great for after college, right? <laughs> it's not great for after high sure. school. But sure. Sure. But now what I'm finding out when we're looking at these connections, right, there are precursors. There are dependencies that like, Logical dependencies. And, you know, the thing with logic over, over, you know, measured science, like, you know, the thing with logic is it's always true. Right. And so, and so what we found was that uh, two digit numbers is a precursor to reading. Really? Oh, well, I guess think that about makes, it. I guess yeah. that makes sense. It's the first time you're concatenating two wow. characters. It means something more. So they're learning that in kindergarten before they're learning to read. So like, when I saw the connection, I went back to my, my child's kindergarten teacher and I said, you know what? I just saw this is the two digit numbers. If you focus on two digit numbers and sure enough, within two weeks, he was reading three letter words. Wow. That's so that's incredible. It, it's so interesting that math has that effect on just on kids or on people in general, because you never really think about it. Math always tends to be that. Like you said, right? Not necessarily just like I'm not a numbers person, but it always tends to be that lost subject as people get older, right? You always hear people saying, oh, I never had to use, you know, algebra in, in college. You know, why did I have to spend all that time learning that? I never had to use geometry and all, you know, all, all that type of stuff. You know, what, what does sine and cosine have to do with anything that I learn in my, you know, I, I, I'm functioning my in the world. You know, so it's interesting that it actually correlates to the basics of everything, right? And that every, you know, like, or, or the basics of, of other educational subjects in general. It's, it's super interesting. When in the process did you realize that? 
And I mean, I guess the, the two digit number thing is a good example, but like, how did you realize that this thing was a basis, basis for all of that? And furthermore, have you seen overall with, with kids that use the program that they thrive, not just in math in school, but also in other subjects as well? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? Because as you build confidence in mathematics, which, like you said, right, like this is the subject that most people are afraid of. It's 50%. Almost half of first and second graders are reporting math anxiety. Well, but it makes sense, right? The statistics show that over a half don't understand the teachers. So it's scary. Sure. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, like, yeah, once they start to get confidence in that, then that confidence tends to go to the other subjects and you hear the parents in their testimonials saying like, thank you. And like, it's amazing that they're like talking about this at the dinner table. Like they see the things and they're pointing it out and they're seeing the math in everyday life. I mean, the math that we're talking about here, we we covered to algebra. I mean, it's fundamental to humanity. If you're dealing with money, you're dealing with, with these things. Now, the really funny part about it is that, until algebra, it's just definition from the conceptual standpoint, right? The school's very worried about is, is like, well, can you do these calculations? And it, I mean, I think it's important. I think there's something to be gained from doing it. Though without the baseline understanding, when they get to algebra, they can't have the conversation. Sure. And then the real challenge is, is that in the attempt to bring the level down to the student they lose the context. Sure. So like they don't treat it like a language. They go right 3x plus 7 equals 28 on the board. And then, well, someone's going to jump out and say, well, the answer is 7. But no one asked a question. Right. Right? There's just 3x plus 7 it's, equals 28 on the board. Yeah. It's just it's We, just we can talk about it. It doesn't mean anything. Right. For sure. For sure. I don't even know if it's true. Right? right. But... Once you get to more mature levels of mathematics, the context is almost always spelled out. Yeah. And that's the thing is that, like, I think if if we could get our algebra teachers to start to spell out more context, and maybe they're doing it, right? Like, it's hard to say that everyone's not doing it. But it, if that happened, for example, then we could have students raise their hand and say, well, I don't really understand what this means or... Maybe sure. I don't, right? But like, if if there's a fear of, well, if I raise my hand about this, or if I don't know the answer, I'm going to be wrong, and so therefore, I'm just going to keep quiet. I mean, this is this is how fear works, right? Sure. Fear wants it so 100%. that you, you're not going to do the healthy thing. Hundred percent. That's that's a, so it's so interesting what 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 you're doing and and how you've just built this whole thing and I really love this concept of of math being the the basis for how, for, for everything else and it really integrating into the rest of education the rest of development the rest of the subjects I was always a huge fan of math always very good at math you know and so I I always wanted to understand why that was why I was I just happened to be good at it and I think that that it's exactly what you said I think that I did understand the connection between things right I had really I I happen to have really good math teachers growing up you know one of my favorite teachers in the world is this guy his name is Mr. Lopez actually won Jeopardy like a week straight later on and he made math more than numbers he made it about 
connecting concepts and connecting things together so that you can see how it all materializes. And that's a super important thing. And that's fantastic that you're taking that same connection between what's written on the piece of paper and then what that means in the physical world, but then through your mind, because that's really the thing is that like, even when you talk about fractions and stuff, sure, you can measure it, but like the proportion, the idea of proportionality, the idea of doing it, that's in your head, right? So like, I'm going to cut this piece of wood. That's imagination. Sure. Sure. Right. So like the ideas are there and these are the tools and the language to talk about the problems you're going to face in those environments. And, you know, like the people say, like, well, I don't know when I'm going to use it. And the problem is, is that like we use it so ubiquitously, we don't even know where it is. So like, I mean, I use algebra on a daily basis, but if you ask me, well, when are you ever going to use algebra? I have troubles telling you. Yeah, I'd be like, I don't know when I'm looking at my bank statement and trying to add up all the charges and make sure it's correct, maybe? I mean, the thing is, is that, like, again, right, algebra tends to be the language of mathematics. So, like, whenever you're asking a question, you know, how much or what is, right, like, so you're going to solve a problem. Sure, you're probably solving it directly, but at the same time, there's an algebraic formulation to the problem. So you're kind of solving the algebra in your head at the same time. Which, I mean, sure, you could say it's not algebra, but like, I mean, now you're really just trying to push to make it not. Right. You're, you're trying to make it not about the math anymore. Man, this was incredible. And we're going to wrap up here in a second. But what I always do with every guest, I always ask two questions. And we're going to get off of the, for these questions, we're going to get a little bit off the elephant learning to, uh, topic and, and a little bit more into the parenting world and and that is you do have such a unique background such a unique outlook you know at least from from people in my circle i you know I, i'll say that when it comes to parenting what's been your your favorite experience i mean and you can take in the educational process if if you'd like if that's been a huge piece of of, of your parenting process but what's just been your favorite thing about the parenting process in general with your son's four and a half you have another one on the way him coming into the world is what sparked this entire business that can change children's lives, you know, and does change children's lives. You know, all of that included, what's been your favorite thing about the parenting process? Yeah, I mean, just every time that kid hugs me. Yeah. It's just, it just feels so good. So, I mean, it's hard to say anything else. I remember the first time, like, he, like, I, I got him to realize that he could, manipulate the world because he was like he made this face so it's like a surprise face because like he wanted this thing to be pulled but i took his hand there and i showed him that he could pull it and then he tried it and his face was like right i was like i was like yeah that's that's pretty cool too right (laughs) that's amazing when they figure out that they can do things and the things that they do affect other things it's like seeing that for the first few times before they just completely understand the concept is fantastic. It's 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 really great. That's a that's a really good one. Obviously, the hugging thing is. I every time my daughter runs to me, and just like grabs me and hugs. It's just the best. That's really really cool. The second question that I ask is a little bit you normally a little bit of a selfish question for myself because I'm still in the the new dad process, the new dad phase, you know. But I'm gonna ask you two different questions here. I'm going to ask you what you, number one, what is your biggest piece of advice for 
a dad behind you in the process. Then the second thing I'm going to ask is going back to, to the educational process. What is your biggest piece of advice in regards to childhood education? You know, for like advice for parents, you know, for, for the development and education of their children. And, you know, what's your biggest piece of advice on that? Yeah, I, I mean, so, I mean, just looking back, right? Like some of the things that seem like such a big deal are just not such a big deal. Very true. <laughs> that's, that's pretty important to 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 hopefully come in with though it's challenging to do because it's the first one from an educational standpoint not to underestimate how important the math is because i do see a lot of parents kind of do that i do see sometimes like and just remembering right that like we're actually moving into a world that's more data driven which ultimately means it's more numerically driven and the answers are in the data and it takes it takes someone to understand that data. And I mean, it's hard to outsource. Like some, some people tell me, well, you, you could just outsource this. I, I don't know, right? Logical facilities in decision-making, right? Especially when you're the executive, you're the one who needs to make the decision. I mean, you got to have it. You got to have those facilities. So I wish I could outsource them, but every now and then I find, you know what? There's a thing I couldn't outsource. Divide, here's dividing two numbers that I couldn't outsource. For sure. Yeah, that's that that's that's super interesting and 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 you're right because logical reasoning is something you can't really outsource that for yourself. So that's a that's a good one and interesting. I'm all about the math as well. Like I told you, I was always I was always a big fan of math. Always loved it. What you're doing is is phenomenal and extremely helpful. I really appreciate you coming on and and sharing the whole story of it, the the whole process for for people that might be interested in entering the elephant learning program what how, how can they do that what's the best way to to do that is it just going to the website download the app etc how, how do they how do they get involved with elephant learning absolutely just go to elephantlearning.com or if you google elephant learning you'll find us there's no one really else named elephant learning that is true and yeah honestly if you start from the website it'll walk you through how to get started with your students so we have like not student logins but we have qr codes that you can scan that just gets them in and locks it to their profile so if you got more than one child like you're not they can't use it as each other so like yeah just start on the website and you figure it out and if, and, and, and if people and if people want to just like connect with you to 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 pick your brain or you know just just get in contact with you and get a better understanding, how how can they do that? I typically recommend LinkedIn. Cool. Um, so if you connect me and you don't look like you're selling me things, I'm probably gonna say okay, why not? That's awesome. And then yeah, I mean even if you contact support, there's there's a great support program that we've put together. Now we have people on the phone to help you. So. Cool. Yeah, I mean, even call in, you can ask around, and sooner or later, you'll talk to me. Awesome. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, Adita, it was so phenomenal to to have you on. I believe you might be the first, actually, you're the second doctor that has been on, that has been on Dad Harder, the podcast. The first one was uh, Dr. Susan Fox, who is the head and founder of, of Brooklyn uh, Parks, Parksville Parents, which is the biggest parenting community in the world. So you're the second doctor. You're the first dad doctor that is on Dad Over the Podcast. So quite an accomplishment on the, you can add that to your list of accomplishments as well. I'm, you I'm going to go throw that on my LinkedIn. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad to have made history here. <laughs> 
Uh, no, that's fantastic, man. I really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate everything you're doing. And once my daughter can actually count to 10, she'll be in, in elephant learning. That's awesome. I'll, I'll be happy to have her just email me and we'll get you a code. I will. Awesome. I appreciate it, man. You have a good rest of your night and I will, I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Take have talk a good soon. One. Bye. And that is all for this week's episode of Dad Hard with a podcast. As always, to connect on the fatherhood, brotherhood, shoot us an email at dadhardpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dadhardpod. And check out the website, wedadhard.com, where this episode with Dr. Adyata Nagrath will be right at the top. And you can learn all about the importance of math and just childhood education in general. With that, Till next week, same dad hard time, same dad hard place. That's all for us. We're out. Peace. Remember back in the days before you got blazed and lost in the haze. Gotta remember the good times. Remember man. back in the times when being just a kid was fun. Right, right. Remember back in the days before you had brains or cared about your ways. Remember back in the times when being just a kid was fun. Right, right. Ain't that the truth, man? I wish you could go back being a little kid again, man. Remember them good times. Everything was free spirit and all that. Talking the playground. He was playing on the monkey balls or whatever.